Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard, and welcome to the One Giant Mind podcast. In this episode, I talk to Alita Brandenburg, a digital marketer, brand strategist, and community developer. She works across industries from tech to music, fashion, and health, and is the former director of social media at Refinery29. In this episode, Alita highlights how in these modern times, the richness of the ancient teachings that are associated with meditation and all the practices surrounding it have been diluted and appropriated. And she poses the question, should we be concerned? Is this problematic? Are we missing the point? This is a really great conversation. Hope you enjoy. So I'm curious, I think that I myself, I grew up, my dad is a Zen Buddhist priest. I grew up in the community surrounding that. He ran a Zen center when I was a child. Uh, and I think it's interesting to see the growth of the meditation community over the years. And I think similarly, people who have grown up with yogic practices and have seen that also become popularized on such a massive scale, there's probably a sense of frustration when they see the physical side of it separated out from the Vedic text, the philosophical and spiritual elements of it, mm. um, which traditionally are well integrated in and um, you might argue are are pertinent to the practice itself. You can't, you know, can you really even call it yoga if it's been removed from those pieces? And I think with meditation, it's interesting. There's potentially a, a similar approach where people um, take a kind of um, meditation light if you will, approach to it. You know, they pick up a book here, they listen to podcasts there, they um, maybe just drop in on a class sometime. And um, there's this sense of a, a very superficial understanding of it and approach. Yeah. I'm curious, do you feel like that's happening with meditation where there is this sort of separation from the original philosophy where people are like, oh, I, you know, meditation is just, you know, I just think no thoughts. I think that's often the, the hmm. <laughs> misconception. Oh, I just have to clear my mind. And obviously there's a lot more to it than that. And what helps facilitate that is a deeper understanding of the philosophy of meditation, depending on what sect you're coming from. There's different thoughts, but um, do you think that you can be successful in meditating and, and, you know, really reap the full benefits of it without that more um, nuanced and, and deep understanding of the philosophy behind it? Hmm, it's a really great question. The analogy that I would like to use to describe my sort of understanding and relationship to all of this is the ripening of fruit. On the outside of any fruit, there's skin. <laughs> um, and that skin is generally coarse and a bit rough to protect the ever juicier, sweeter layers as you move inward. And as the fruit becomes riper, that skin becomes more supple, softer to be able to access the, the juice on the inside, the fruit, the flesh on the inside. And I think that what we're seeing particularly in the Western world, but even in the Eastern world, because a lot of the original meaning and relevance of these ancient practices have been lost, but are being rediscovered. Um, but specifically in the West, because I know that's what you're, you're talking yeah, about. Exactly. Um, where we're witnessing a, a, a ripening of sorts of our sensibility 
and our mentality in our relationship to who we are as people, as human beings. Because I think that the industrialized age <laughs> dehumanized us. We were all sort of, you know, educated to be tools and cogs in an engine of industry in order to drive economy and prosperity. And I think that we have kind of squeezed that one dry and recognized the unsustainability of um, making our meaning and purpose for our existence a, a healthy economy. <laughs> it, it's, it's simply not enough. I think it's important to have a, a thriving economy, but to have that as the thing that's driving our motivation first and foremost is completely and utterly unsustainable because what we are is human beings. And as human beings, what we require is a deep, intimate connection and relationship to ourself and our ability to be, to feel whole and complete in this moment. And as a result of living the way that we have, we are carrying with us a large bag of unresolved issues of, from our past. And this has caused a very specific set of conditions for us as human race and the way in which we relate to everything. And so introduce, you know, Eastern mystical practices into the West and immediately what occurs is we apply our Western mentality of commodifying <laughs> everything. Yeah. How can we commodify this to make it more accessible to the masses kind of thing, right? Which serves a great purpose from one perspective. But in the process of doing that, what it does is it dilutes what the thing is. And so when you look at most practices in the West, they have all been appropriated in some way or another. And the ones that haven't still very much look like where they've come from in the East. And there's plenty on display. There's plenty of options for everybody. You want to dive deep into the very, very traditional Vedic or Buddhist or Zen uh, schools and lineages. They're there and available in the West. There are those that are upholding that very traditionally. And then there's all those things that are on the opposite end of the spectrum that are so stripped back of their essential meaning and purpose from where it derived, at least, um, that it's almost not recognizable, yeah. you know, like hip hop yoga, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, three minute mindfulness to, you know, get more done. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you could argue, well, you know, you've kind of missed the point mm -hmm. relative to its original purpose. Contradictory even. Yes. Yeah. At a polarity, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but the big question we have to ask ourselves is what are we doing here? What's happening here? And how can we reconcile this to the degree that we, we develop an understanding of its relevance and purpose and continue driving continue creating the conditions that cause the ripening effect that I was describing before? How can we use all the things that are happening right now to continue the inevitable ripening of who and what we are to the extent that we consume ourselves <laughs> daily as our staple diet? Currently, we're not able to kind of really live of ourselves. We are 
sourcing externally our sustenance, which is actually making us sick. And what I mean by that is that we look outward for validation, for security. We acquire things to make us feel comfortable with how we are. And we need certain conditions for us to feel safe and secure. And all of these are terribly unreliable sources of um, satiating our desire to feel safe, well, and connected. And the ancient practices have always described that there is an experience inside of each of us that is eminently achievable and accessible by anybody if you just apply a set of processes and diligence you will arrive at an experience inside of yourself that yields this sense of fulfillment, connection, and vitality, and that you are a source of energy and inspiration that can lead you to act in a way that creates things that is expressive of your purpose and makes you feel fulfilled, happy and fulfilled and rejuvenated. That's what... That's what the ripe fruit looks like. We're in the process of ripening into that. And so in the process of doing that, we're looking at the unripened fruit and we're going, hmm, how do I bite into this? <laughs> <laughs> Using the, the mentality that um, we've recognized was unsustainable you know, commodifying things, you know, we came from an industrialized age. Everything was looked upon of how can we sell this thing, <laughs> you know? And compete with each other Ex on it. Exactly. That, that was the next thing I was going to say. Mm. The whole co competitive mentality is um, really what drives uh, innovation or lack thereof. <laughs> it it, it, it uh, really stifles our creativity. Some would say it drives creativity, but actually – you know, collaboration is what really drives creativity. So I've kind of taken a long garden path to answer, you know, to respond to the question. The way that I reconcile everything that's happening um, in the world right now, and I'll admit that it, it's very easy to stand on the sidelines, you know, for, from a pure traditional standpoint and just poo-poo the whole thing, <laughs> just go, this is ridiculous. It's a joke. You've all missed the bloody point. You're all fools. You don't know what you're doing. If I were to take that position, the reality is that I've actually missed the point mm. too. Because <laughs> the truth is that we all belong to each other. We all have a condition. We all have a nature that we share in. And we all have a responsibility to participate in the unfoldment of our potential as a species. And... um the most powerful way that we can contribute to the ripening is to support, encourage, and if we have deeper insight about the deep, the, the true meaning of where this knowledge came from, then with a, with a, a sensitivity and compassion and a sensibility of inclusiveness, take on the responsibility of starting to talk about it without disdain you know, without judgment and criticism. And, you know, it's a challenge. I find myself challenged sometimes, you know. I see some things and I'm like, are you kidding me? What the heck is that? You know, and and it becoming extremely popular to the extent that it gets written up on the front page of the New York Times. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, my God, they just so missed the point here. But, you know, I, I always just stop and I take a deep breath. <sighs> We're just in a process of ripening here. It's okay. 
it's okay. And we're all, we're all in it for the long run. We've got no choice. <laughs> it's a long journey. It's a long journey of understanding how we can take this ancient knowledge, extract the nectar, and it's just so filled with the nectar and wisdom of who and what we are. And over time, we're going to break through these hardened layers of the fruit of our humanity and eventually start developing a taste for the, the sweetness of the juice and the flesh that's inside of us and crave it and begin to, you know, no longer be satisfied with just chewing on the skin. Mm. At the moment, we're kind of just going, oh, the skin will do. You know, I often say to myself, God, if only they knew what's inside the fruit, mm. you know. People say, ah, oh, I just don't have time to meditate. You know, I just don't have time to do this stuff. You know, maybe once or twice a week. I'm like, okay, well, you know, you keep chewing on the skin there for a while. See, so you go, eventually, you'll get sick of that. And you'll want to go a little bit deeper. And that requires that you just commit a couple of extra days a week to yourself to be able to get in there deeper and access that nectar. Does, does that provide a framework or a perspective sure, for yeah. you? Of course. I think it's, uh, perhaps leads to more, even more questions. But yeah, I think that's a really great start. Well, I look forward to continuing those conversations with you in later episodes. Likewise. Thanks. The most important thing to reflect on here is that you know we are a work in progress and we're in a big process of rediscovering who we are and what we are and in any way that we can draw from our past our ancestry extract wisdom and appropriate it for these modern times and when I say appropriate I mean make appropriate for these modern times then we're on a winning ticket here now, if you're somebody that has a desire to really understand the richness and depth of the ancient knowledge, then go for it. Go and discover it. Go and dive into it. If you're somebody that really just wants an entry-level practice, then by no means should you feel bad or guilty or feel like you're missing the point. We're all at different levels, and this knowledge can serve us at all of these different stages in our personal development. And I think what's really important is that we don't get too self-righteous, we don't take ourselves too seriously in this whole process of discovering who and what we are and using this beautiful ancient knowledge to help us do that. Special thanks to our show producers, Trevor Exter and Sean Tomlin. Music by Ali. Special thanks to Andrea Stern for allowing us to record all of our sessions in her beautiful studio and to all the One Giant Mind team. Thank you for listening and being a part of One Giant Mind. If you don't already and you're interested in learning to meditate, an easy free way is to download the One Giant Mind Learn Meditation mobile app on iTunes or Google Play. The best way to learn, however, is from a teacher. And if you're interested in learning the One Giant Mind technique, email us at teachers at onegiantmind.com and we'll help you find a teacher in your area. If you're a passionate meditator and the idea of becoming a teacher is something that inspires you, consider becoming certified with the One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training Program that I've developed. The certification program is 100% online and can be done on your smartphone, laptop or tablet anywhere in the world. Teaching could be one of the most fulfilling experiences because you're having such a meaningful impact in people's lives. If you're interested in enrolling and would like to receive a special discount, email teachers at onegiantmind.com and mention the One Giant Mind podcast to get a great discount. 
Finally, if you enjoy our show, please share it with your friends and give us a review because it improves our rankings and helps others find this podcast. And I really hope you can join us for the next episode.